was walking down the street in the middle of Manhattan and a block of ice fell off uh, like a 40-something story building onto my head. The thing that was really crazy about that experience was that when I got hit, you're supposed to think about like family, friends, like I don't know, something touching um, when you're not sure what just happened to you. I actually thought, oh my god, if I die, my obituary will say that I'm a consultant. But it was not, it was not what I wanted. Um, and I knew that, but I really knew that at that point. And I had been doing it because I wasn't sure how to take the next step toward working on this problem. And at that point, I realized um, that I needed to figure out what the next step was. Why hello, Startup Nation. The early stage podcast pushes forward with a woman in digital health takeover. Nell Miosky Lowe, founder and CEO of Folia Health, is today's guest, and my former colleague and Mass Challenge Health Tech Director of Operations, Nina Kandelian, is my co-host. The oldest of seven children and the older sister to a brother with common variable immune deficiency, Nell is no stranger to supporting another with their complex disease state. It took a block of ice, literally falling on her head on a New York City sidewalk for her to realize that she needed to stop everything she was doing and start following her passion, lest she die a consultant. She thought back to her experience with her brother and how difficult it was to match very specific treatments to individual patients for complex diseases like CVID or cystic fibrosis. After over a year of working on the project, nights and weekends, Nine to fivers, it can be done. Nell launched Folia Health to monitor patient reported outcomes in a very structured way, elevating appointments with clinicians and leading to better health outcomes. Listen in to hear more about how she's making it happen. All right, here we are. Uh, we've got, uh, I don't know, Nina, is this the <laughs> female founders in digital health yeah. takeover? Women in digital health. Of early takeover. stage? Takeover. Of early, of early stage, yeah. There are a lot of us in digital health. Yeah, there and you've done a fair amount of, I mean, you've interviewed a fair amount of our women in digital Ashley health. Reed, Ashley Reed, who else? Liz. Liz. I don't remember. Exactly. Well, yeah. well, today I have two incredible women with me. Uh, first uh, is our interviewee, and then I'll introduce our interviewer. Uh, we have <laughs> Nell Miaski luo co-founder and CEO of Folia Health. And across from me is my former colleague, uh, Nina Kandelian, Director of Operations for Mass Challenge Health Tech, which I have spoken of often uh, and completely revere. Welcome you two to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so uh, Nina is going to is gonna co-host with me. So <laughs> she's got a bunch of questions in front of her. Yes, Hopefully they're not too pressure-inducing. Um, uh, I'm but, scared, Nina. Exactly. <laughs> but, but let's jump into it. So, uh, so Nell, for the uninitiated... What is the the twenty second pitch of Folia Health? Uh, actually, one of the other health tech companies yesterday called it um, the Twitter pitch, which I which I like. Uh, so the the Twitter pitch for Folia is um, we are focusing on all of the insights and observations that patients and family caregivers make on a daily basis about what treatments work and what which ones don't work, what symptoms, behaviors, moods they're experiencing, um, both as a result of, of treatments and otherwise. And the goal of all of that information is really to capture it and to use it um, to be much more precise about which treatments we use for which patients, both at the individual level and also when you're looking at like big populations of people with similar conditions. Um, so we've been at this for about two and a half years, and we started in the cystic fibrosis population. So that's our focus condition right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
why do you care, right? Because there's, you know, for, for someone with a, with a background like yours, you could go into a hundred different fields, focus on anything. Why are you focusing so deeply on driving behavioral data and sort of like observational data in order to drive better outcomes? Why, why is that such a focus of yours? Sure. So I'm going to take this opportunity to coin the term that we keep trying to use. Uh, we're, we've made it up, but we're using it a lot. Um, home reported outcomes is what we're calling this data. Kind Good of enough. All of the observational data, it's similar to a patient reported outcome, but it includes family caregiver reported outcomes, and it's collected continuously every day um, in you know your real life. Um, the reason that I care about it, um, I've actually been, I've never found a better way to say this. I've been kind of weirdly interested in this for a very long time. Um, so I've actually, um, I grew up as the oldest of seven kids um, and my younger brother has um, a complex illness, which is now known as CVID or common variable immune deficiency. It's actually gone through a couple of different names since he was diagnosed in 1996. And so I spent a lot of time kind of as the oldest accompanying my mom um, and my brother to his appointments, going to, uh, there's like a IDF, which is the big foundation conference every two years, where my mom would actually bring me along as a note taker when I was like nine. You can imagine like a nine-year-old sitting there. So I was born to try, trying to break down the scientific terms. Oh my yeah, God. actually. Um, so I was very interested in that. I Coming away from it, I thought I was going to be an immunologist. I actually did a bunch of immunology research in college. Um, but I learned in college about the concept of public health and kind of population level um, systems health and became very interested in how you can do things to improve the way that the mechanisms of healthcare, um, as opposed to kind of individual care like a doctor would would manage. And um, and so at that point, I you know was, was already very interested in trying to figure out what treatments work best for which patients, because I'd seen with my brother's experience, a bunch of really smart doctors at very well-renowned institutions would not agree, or we'd have to go to one of those big places to get someone who might even have an idea of what should be done. Um, and it seemed very silly to me, and my family was lucky enough to be able to access that. There are a lot of people who can't access it. Um, and it really shouldn't be that hard to figure out what the right treatments are. We have the science to determine like what these treatments should be, but we're not very good at standardizing and we're not very good at figuring out how to match treatments to patients. Um, and so that's really what I was, what I was interested in, even I guess as far back as undergrad. And, um, this is, this is the latest iteration of, of that focus for me. So you've had this idea stewing around in many different forms on napkins, in your dreams, uh, you're... That, that's maybe over-dramatizing. Maybe, but I'll say, maybe. <laughs> that, that's the movie version, definitely, yes. And, and so you're, you're consulting, right, at yeah. Oliver Wyman and... Uh, right you, right here, actually, very close. I had this, almost the same view Doc as Bay Area? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you, something triggered in your head that you said, I need to, I need to do this. Yeah. Like I, I, did you quit your job the next day or did you start testing... And, and this doing is things my good manual. story. This is the one that is more dramatic. I so, and I didn't know that this was a good story. So I haven't, I haven't just told it very much because it. it seems a little bit overly dramatic. But basically what happened was, um, so I had been consulting for about a year and I was um, in the middle of a project in New York. It was right around now. It was like February 1st, I think, um, of 2015. And I was walking down the street in the middle of Manhattan and a block of ice fell off uh, like a 40 something story building onto my head. 
Oh. oh my god. Yeah. Um, and so obviously I fell down. I, I don't know if I blacked out. Like I don't have full reckon, like full um, memory of the situation, but no one stopped to help me, which was pretty funny. This is like, you didn't wake up in the ER? No. So I, I woke up definitely on the street um, and realizing that I was on the sidewalk. No one was stopping. It was like, you know, oh I know 6 p.m. in New York. Um, and so I called my boyfriend was like, oh, my gosh, um, I just got hit by something. I didn't even at that point. I hadn't even identified what it was like. I might pass out. Can you send? So he sent an Uber to come pick me up to bring me to an urgent care. Like he was not in that. He was in a different city, but he sent an Uber because uh, I kind of told him where I was. Anyway, long story short, I ended up with a pretty severe concussion. I had a few weeks off from work, workers comp, the whole nine yards. But um, the thing that was really crazy about that experience was that when I got hit, this is what sounds overly dramatic, but when I got hit, <laughs> you're supposed to think about like family, friends, like, I don't know, something touching um, when you're not sure what just happened to you. And I actually thought, oh my God, if I die, my obituary will say that I'm a consultant. <laughs> so sad. And by the way, to all my friends who are consultants, I love you, but it was not... It was not what I wanted, um, and I knew that, but I really knew that at that point, and I had been doing it because I wasn't sure how to take the next step toward working on this problem, and at that point, I realized um, that I needed to figure out what the next step was. So I was still paying off loans. Um, I ended up doing a bunch of interviews at all sorts of different healthcare companies, trying to figure out kind of where I could work on this problem, and to be honest, I ended up not finding exactly what I was looking for. So I kind of stumbled into starting Folia, which happened about a year later. Um, it was a lot of trial and error, looking for something to fit what I wanted to do. And I almost built the thesis of the company around what I wasn't finding. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very crazy, you know, 2015 <laughs> until I, I ended up leaving in 2016 to start the company. Wow. I never knew that about you. That's incredible. It was a weird experience. Yeah. Yeah. I once, I once ran into a tree and got a concussion. Didn't mm. see the tree. Um, <laughs> oh and, then I, and then when I woke up, my friends were circled around me laughing maniacally. Uh, so and no one called me an Uber. Uber didn't exist then. Um, but I, I didn't go to the hospital. Uh, oh, no. But, uh, and so who knows what terrible brain damage I might oh, have. No. Um, and so did you – so a lot of times founders, they work on their project nights and weekends mm. because they're sort of scared to take the leap, can't financially mm. take the leap. Did you, did you do a little bit yeah, of that? Yeah, I had that experience, yeah. Right? So we, we did, um, so I say we actually at that time, uh, so my boyfriend, who's now my husband and I, actually he also, he proposed the same, that weekend after I got hit. He was oh, also nice. really freaked out. Aww. My dad told me I could take it back, you know, the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he was joking, but anyway, so, um, so um, we, we actually worked on it together, kind of like weekends thinking about it. He was in healthcare consulting or in consulting, focusing on healthcare also, and he, um, he and I both took a leave of absence from consulting, which is a really cool thing that you can do. Um, we took off the summer of 2015 to work on the idea. Wow. Um, and by the end of the summer, we realized that, first of all, we couldn't both work on it because we had nothing else to talk about or nothing else going on. Like, it's really difficult. I know some people who do it, but if you're in a relationship with someone that you're also working on a startup with, it could kind of become all-consuming very easily. And we also realized that we didn't feel confident enough that our solution was exactly what we were looking for. And so we both went back to work. That was um, September of 2015. And um, I decided to be the one kind of continuing to work on it. Um, and um, 
and then I spent, yeah, it was kind of like nights and weekends. Um, I had a friend from college who was helping me out a bit and, um, we ended up kind of deciding that it all looked good and I really believed in it, um, in March. So it was a long, I mean, it was a very long process thinking about it for, for six months, working on it for two months, full time, working on it nights and weekends for another six months. It was, and then you had a prototype. Not yet. So at that point, we had uh, we had many prototypes. We didn't have the prototype we were going to end up building, but we had it. We had a, a concept that we'd validated, and we understood the entire um, we understood the entire concept. It wasn't just like a really cool product, but no business model or um, like some combination of those things. It was really a, a more mature concept that we felt like we could actually work on. So how did you validate it? A lot of interviewing. Interviewing. Okay. Yes. Did you um, did you do pen and paper people? Yeah. Like writing writing their behaviors and how they're feeling, uh, Q and A, and then getting that information to the clinician and seeing how that helps outcomes. Like, were you literally doing all that manually? Yes, all of it was manual, and I actually continued it after I left my job full time. I continued it for a period of another, another three months. Um, it was a very well tested concept by the time that we decided That's to build awesome. it. Yeah, and it, that was the point at which I um, decided to go look for a co-founder who was uh, going to be our CTO and um, was going to be someone who ideally could build the entire system, you know, back end and front end. And I knew that by that point, the the prototype was something that was going to require some pretty um, advanced technical skills. And so I was very, very worried about finding a co-founder. Um, but I got really lucky and found one really fast. So. <laughs> That's really, really yes. hard to do, right? It was really lucky. Yeah. Um, actually, I set myself a drop dead date. Um, but if I didn't find, I wasn't going to give myself very much time. Um, and this, this has been something that's been very helpful over the course of the startup to do, to set drop dead dates, which yeah. are really scary, but they're they forcing mechanisms. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I had the drop dead, drop dead date of Thanksgiving, 2016 to find, uh, our co my co-founder and I found Dan in October. Um, and it was just like a perfect match. It was really very mm -hmm. serendipitous. So. How did you know what to focus on at that point? Once you have your co-founder and you have what you think is a product, mm. how did you know, okay, how do I take this to the next level? We had read a lot of books. Um, I'm a person who reads a lot of books. Uh, Dan reads a lot of books and listens to a lot of podcasts. And kind of through Dan, I got really into podcasts also. How I Built This. Uh, how Imagining I built this. yourself oh on How I Built This. <laughs> Actually, when we brought our third member of the team on, we required that he listened to like the entirety of How I Built This, which he did <laughs> in his drive from Minneapolis moving to Boston. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, yes, we're, we're How I Built This disciples. But, Same. Um, yes, so, and, you know, there's Masters of Scale. They're oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but we read, I don't remember which book it was that made the biggest impact. It might've been zero to one. Um, I was very convinced of the concept of an MVP, um, which is a minimum viable product, something that is the absolute simplest version of what you will be able to use in real life. Right. So not attempting to build the whole thing, yeah. building the MVP. And the other thing I was really excited about was, um, I just learned of this concept called design thinking, um, mm -hmm. And design thinking is really the idea of rapid prototyping, right? It's it's kind of a um, a bottom-up approach to product development, saying, I don't know what this product is going to be. I know what problem I'm trying to solve. I'm going to start with a first version of the product, and then I'm going to get feedback on that. Um, and you'll, you'll, you can tell this is a theme, right? Like, we are very feedback-centric. Um, and our whole concept was that this is actually what was wrong with digital health, that um, there had been so many products that had such low usage rates and, and really had died very quickly. Um, 
I, I'd done a lot of kind of learning about the history of digital health in, in the you know, 12 months when I was considering starting the company. And it seemed like every company died because no one was using it. Yep. Um, Adherence is very hard. Yes, yeah. right. Um, and so we kind of decided that our, our whole thing was going to be rapid prototyping with an eye to making sure that everything that we build is something that's being pulled by the user, not pushed by us. So um, that was our whole idea is, you know, all of these digital health companies have been founded by people with a lot of healthcare experience, but they were founded to to solve the problems of healthcare executives and often were built by healthcare executives or people who were trying to trying to please the healthcare executives and not built for the end user. So why would the end user actually be engaged with this platform? No one had ever really asked them what they wanted. It wasn't really usually solving a problem for the for the end user. And so our entire thesis was start build an MVP that's super simple, get it in front of people as fast as you can and listen. Right. Don't ask them, do you want X, Y, Z? Don't lead them. Listen. And it's a more inductive reasoning approach of like, let's see what comes up as opposed to a, like a hypothesis driven, like we think it's going to be one of these three things. And to be honest, we have learned so many things and there have been so many features we've built that we never would have even thought to build. Um, it's still happening right now. In fact, I had a conversation with Dan this morning about a feature that someone suggested to him yesterday that we'd never considered and seems like it actually would match a lot of things that people have been asking us about. Um, and so it's one of those things where, like, we kind of let our users drive what we were doing. Um, and so it wasn't really a question of, like, what's our nine-month plan? It was, so let's start with the MVP and iterate and iterate until we feel like we have something that we can beta test. Um, and that brought us, it was about, what was it, maybe an eight-month process mm -hmm. until July of 2017 when we started beta testing. So what uh, what got you to land on cystic fibrosis as you know, indication number one. Yeah. And what does that experience look like for the user, right? yeah. the person who has cystic fibrosis? It's a great question. Um, again, very serendipitous. Um, and I'm really sorry to all the founders who might be listening because um, whenever I heard people say, other founders say, serendipitous, I was like, that is not helpful. Like, that, is, that, is not, that is not a playbook. That's no guidance. Uh, it's, it's not helpful, but it was serendipitous. So, um, we were actually at the Mass Challenge office at Dry Dock. Uh, this was in the summer of 2017, uh, going to an event. And this is before we ever even applied. And um, uh, there was a guy there. His name's Ted. And Ted was there for his job at Unum. Um, but I was just talking to him about Folia. And he was like, you know what? This would be great. I have a daughter with CF. And do you know anything about it? I didn't really know anything about it. He told me about CF. And then he invited me to come speak to their family advisory committee for the um, families of people with CF in Maine uh, that September. So I went up. It was my husband's birthday. <laughs> we like, he like came with me and we like went had out to dinner, dinner afterwards. Had dinner in Portland or something. We did. We, yeah. did. we had dinner in Portland. Where'd you exactly. go? Where'd you go? Uh, we went to Hugo's. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, which actually we've kept that up as a tradition since then. But, um, <laughs> And uh, food in Portland, it's always oh, it's you never, amazing. never lose. I know. Well, anyway, let's like we, can, we won't diverge because that will become a big thing. Um, but um, so, uh, so Ted introduced me to the group, and they were just fabulous. And this group was, you know, this was the pull. Like we were always looking for the pull. They were pulling us towards CF. They told us they really wanted to use it, and they actually had a clinician there, uh, a couple of clinicians there. But um, her name's Mary Ellen Corrigan. She's a nurse practitioner at the Maine Medical um, Pediatric CF Clinic, and she was like, "Yeah, we can totally get this into the clinic to get to get, to help parents and families sign up." Um, let's do it like next month. And I was like, oh my gosh. Cause at that time we were talking all the big Boston health system or a couple of the big Boston health systems. It seemed like it was going to be a very long process. 
And it happened, I kid you not, in three weeks. Three weeks wow. from my husband's birthday. So my husband's birthday is September 18th. And we started giving out information on folia at the main medical CF clinic on October 11th. It was crazy fast. Wow. Um, it was awesome. So CF pulled us and we've been in CF since then. Um, it's been really fabulous. I think the CF, we've learned so much from the CF community and it's a really, um, it's a really strong community of advocates. So we've, you know, this whole concept of getting like proactive feedback on what we have and what they want. It's worked so well because they're so willing to give their time and their ideas to us so that we can build a better tracking system for them. So it's Is that community awesome. unique or do you, or, or do you see that with other disease states? So I wouldn't say that it's unique. Um, we actually, since that time, have had very similar experiences with several other disease communities that have found us. Um, and we're actually going to be launching in a couple of new conditions later this year based, again, on this pull mechanism. Um, my brother's condition, the Im immune deficiencies as a family of conditions, um, it's very similar. I would say that CF is a little bit different from a lot of other conditions in that the foundation is very strong. Uh, it's very well funded and they have a lot of really uh, fabulous programming and they also, um, they just have so many resources. And so I think that CF is, is a little different in that, in that regard. Um, things are maybe a little bit more centralized than other conditions. Yeah. So how does this app work? So basically, oh, you did ask that. And I, I did. <laughs> yes. I did. Um, you hesitated, so I asked again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so basically, um, the way that Folia works, you can kind of think of it as a multiple choice system. So um, if you are a parent who has a child with cystic fibrosis, you have a set of things that you're trying to remember, right? So you're trying to remember treatments. Um, you're also trying to remember the things that you're noticing, symptoms, behaviors, moods. If you're taking measurements like their weight every day, you want somewhere to put all that information. And, and this happens, right? You're supposed to be doing all this work well, by yourself. Yeah, I mean, supposed to is maybe a strong... A lot of people, um, a lot of clinicians would recommend keeping a record of some of these things so you can have a more uh, productive appointment. But to be honest, no, there isn't really... There, there never has really been a set of kind of to-dos um, aside from the treatment plans. Um, and one of the things that's very difficult is that almost every tracking system, or I would actually venture to say every tracking system that's ever existed outside of pen and paper for CF and for every other complex condition does not include everything that could possibly be happening, right? So back in like the 90s, there still are for some conditions, um, like printable spreadsheets that you could fill out, oh, but they would only list yeah. like, you know, certain things that, um, that were most relevant, quote unquote, to CF patients. They wouldn't list everything. Um, some people would actually create their own Excel spreadsheets. Some people will create notebooks, but tracking apps in general have the major flaw of not being able to track everything. And the problem with that is the minute that you notice something that you think could be important, that can't be put in this app because maybe it's out of the ordinary, you will abandon the app, right? You'll abandon whatever the system is. You'll abandon the, the printed out spreadsheet because you know that everything that you're noticing, especially the weird stuff, is important. And so that's why people end up with these stacks of notebooks, right? So what we've done differently and what we've found has been really important to our users is when you track in Folio, you can actually track literally anything, but it's all parameterized. So what that means is it's all answering a multiple choice question. So you're never putting in like freeform, huge text boxes to describe things. The reason that's important is because you can graph something that's a multiple choice question, right? So you can see changes over time. You can compare it to other patients. You can compare it to yourself five years ago or five years from now. And so the thing that is really important about our system is that you can track 
anything in a structured way. Um, and so what people will do is they'll track symptoms that are, some things are really common, like uh, coughing and post-nasal drip or bowel movements are really important to track for CF. Um, some people will track things that are more behavioral, like temper tantrums, anxiety, um, sadness, things like that. And then most people also track a, a selection of treatments. They're all multiple choice, so the whole interaction takes about 90 seconds a day. And the goal is that what you end up with, even over like two or three weeks, is a way better set of information than you ever had in a structured place where you can actually see it on graphs immediately and you can bring it into your clinic. Um, and so then the clinic, instead of asking you like, hey, how have you been how, feeling? How many temper tantrums about, or like, is it happening once a week? And you're like, oh, I remember it happened at grandma's house, but I, I don't know, like, it feels like a lot. Um, instead of that, you have a graph that shows like, oh, actually maybe we've been tracking sleep hours and temper tantrums. And it, there's a very clear problem where like when we're taking this certain medication, which we take three days a week, she sleeps less and then she has more temper tantrums the next day. You can see things like that, um, which would be nearly impossible to see without tracking that information. It is next to impossible to get providers to purchase this type of technology. And um, we all know that patients, like you said, the second they don't like a technology, they stop using it. Or if it doesn't work for them, they stop using it. Um, what has been your, I guess, like secret sauce for getting this implemented within some of these providers? What is your, um, when you position these conversations in a way that you're selling this product, what do you, how do you say that? In sure. A way that yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with I'll start with the providers. Um, so we uh, we are not currently selling uh, to providers. We're working with them as distribution partners. That's so awesome. the goal with providers right now is basically um, they want to have a better tool to be able to collect this information to use it in the clinic. Um, they really like our tool, and what they like the most is that the reports um, make sense and are usable in the clinic. It's not too much information. It's it's analyzed and. Uh, illustrated in a way that's easy to react to and, and not like an overwhelming amount. Um, that was actually part of our super long prototyping process. We sp I spent literally two months on just the appointment guide, just mm -hmm. the report. Um, so that's why they that's why they work with us is because they want the reports back. Mm -hmm. And so what they'll do is they'll give out information at their clinics about um, what Folia is. And if people want to sign up, it's totally up to them. Um, but we do find that people will sign up when they hear about it from their providers. About 50% of everyone who hears about it from their provider will actually sign up. We actually have a little abstract, little plug, a little abstract in pediatric pulmonology on that topic. Um, in November, it was published. Um, oh, cool. But so, so that's, you know, why and how we work with providers. And it's honestly a really easy sell. Most providers want better data to use in the clinic. Um, they recognize the value of the insight that the patients and families have. Um, and something that we're working on actually going into um, this spring of 2019 is what we're calling the Folia Provider Program. We'll be announcing the details of it in a few weeks. Um, but the, the goal of that program is to help providers to understand more about like what is this data? How can it be best used? And how can we do that in a way that's really seamless and easy so that it doesn't have any impact on the clinical flow, but mm -hmm. it's still elevating that appointment. Um, but uh, on the patient side, on the patient and family side, honestly, the secret sauce is listening to what they ask us for. Um, it's really that simple. So, um, you know, we are a continuously developing platform. We definitely don't have it right yet. We have it way more right than we had it a year ago. And uh, I think, first of all, we have a lot of um, 
we have a lot of support from the families and patients because they know that when they tell us something, we listen to them. Um, because they know that the things that they want to change about the platform, we will be willing to change if it's something that makes sense. And also, people are actually getting real value out of it. Um, it's something I have to credit both the families and the clinicians for is that they um, they actually work together to use this data in the clinic. And we've heard all sorts of awesome stories about how Folio data is already being used um, to change treatment plans and to check and see if things are working as expected. And that's something that um, really creates a feedback loop, right, for the yeah. families where it's like, well, <laughs> obviously this is better than like not remembering when that temper tantrum was, right? So we just have to make sure that it continues to be an easy and um, and kind of seamless experience for the families and the providers. So you, you, your app does a very good job of capturing observations mm. and then sharing that with the clinician in order for them to make recommendations, change the medicine, uh, give advice on behavior and, and changing your ways. Um, have you thought about integrating new features like medication adherence, which is a big digital health industry. Uh, well, we're you know, sitting in CBS, right? Or, right? Right? We care about that. <laughs> and compliance and, and health outcomes, right? But um, And also, like, management of the illness as well. So you're taking, in observa- you're taking in observations, but then are you giving recommendations back? Or do you let the clinician do that work? It's a great question. Uh, so I'll start on the adherence side. So um, this is something we like to talk about because we actually think that it's important um, as we move toward a, you know, everybody talks about patient centricity. We really want to create something that's more of a patient driven healthcare system to understand that actually this really most um, healthcare that you receive really does need to be driven by the needs of the patient as opposed to what the provider thinks is going to happen, needs to happen. And um, alongside kind of that, that, thought process, um, we don't like to think of it as medication adherence. We like to frame it as medication use. And the reason is because, and obviously adherence is better than compliance used to be and all that stuff, but um, still the concept of adherence is that there's a treatment plan that you're supposed to follow. And if you don't follow it, you're doing something wrong. Treatment use, it has more of an egalitarian connotation. It's more about the fact that the patients and families are making a decision, which is true, to use or to not use a treatment. And when you think about it that way, you open it up to a more interesting set of possibilities, which includes the fact that there may be reasons why people don't use, right? When you say someone's not adherent, the automatic assumption is that someone is lazy, right? Or they they couldn't care less about their health or their loved one's health. Um, When you think about someone not using something, you're like, well, why aren't you using something? It must be, there must be a reason. And so one of the new questions we actually added to the platform this fall was the why not question, which is when people track that they did not complete a treatment on any given day, they're given the option to record a reason. Um, and that's super interesting information, right? And it also gives the families the ability to record those reasons and to be able to show their provider, like, the reason I'm not doing this is because it, is it, it takes 20 minutes and I don't have 20 minutes in the morning. I'll be late for work. So we need to figure out something else. Couldn't or, afford my medication. Could, it could yes, have been anything. Or I think it might be causing a side effect. There, there are actually, we have uh, 20 reasons that people can choose from and we're actually adding them all the time. And those were That'd all, be a great blog post. Top 20? Yeah, yeah, yeah it would. It, you're you right. Identify. Thank you. Yeah. We need to start writing blog posts. But, <laughs> um, that's, not, that's, that's more BuzzFeedy than anything. So. No, that, I, I love BuzzFeedy. It's really interesting though, I think. <laughs> yeah, so that's, so that's kind of, so... So that's what we're thinking about on that side. On the prediction side, um, so you can kind of think of like 
healthcare data and analytics in, in three buckets. So there's um, descriptive, which is really where we are right now, like what is happening, right? Then there's predictive, which is based on what is happening, what is likely to happen. And then there's prescriptive, which is based on what's likely to happen, what should you do, right? And you have to really conquer each one sequentially. So right now we're, we're really focusing on descriptive. And honestly, I think everyone should be. And I think that most companies that are trying to move into predictive or prescriptive are ahead of themselves. It's the reason why we see some obviously, you know, big failures like IBM Watson. Um, people are trying to jump too fast into prescriptive, predictive and prescriptive when we really haven't nailed descriptive yet. We don't even know what's happening in a lot of cases. So at Folio, we're focused on what's happening. And in our, you know, three to five year roadmap, we're interested in looking at um, predictive and prescriptive, but not before we, we really, you know, get a good handle on what's happening and why. Mm-hmm. And I would think that at that point, you'd have enough data. Well, maybe not enough, but a fair amount of data to be able to understand what you could prescribe. Absolutely. Recommend. Yeah. And machine learning models are improving all the yeah. time. And so, yeah, absolutely. It will be. Um, there's another reason why we need to wait a couple of years as well. Yeah. yeah that yeah. makes sense. So there's uh, the, the, the value drivers here. The end of, like You've got the patients themselves. Uh, you have the caregivers uh, and, the, and the providers, uh, but I can also see over time this longitudinal data that you're going to be able to capture from these CF patients could be really helpful in the drug discovery world, in the treatment world for those actual diseases themselves. So yeah. have you have you had some conversations with the vertexes of the world and you know and, and other stakeholders within this disease state that might find value from what you're driving? Yeah, um, well, mass challenge plug. Uh, <laughs> so vertex was actually one of our um, was one of our uh, uh, partners or uh, champions through the Mass Challenge Health Tech Program. Thank you to Nina. Um, and it was <laughs> and many others. It was it was an awesome experience and we're we're actually we're still working with them. Um, we have a partner, uh, a couple couple of partners there. Glenn was our champion um, uh, through through the program and it's been it's been a great experience to learn from them about what the potential use cases are for this type of data uh, in a pharma world when you're thinking about uh, especially the the really exciting drug pipeline. The trials as well. Yes, there's a really cool triple combination trial that's happening. Everybody's really excited about in CF. Um, There is a new, there are a couple of new drugs that have have come out or are also in trials with other companies. And so um, we're we're really interested in, in that um, in that entire kind of continuum of care within looking at new medications and also continuing the efficacy trials in existing medications. Um, we're also interested in looking at the way that um, insurance companies and other payers are able to think about you know, how to pay for some of these drugs and also what they should pay for these drugs, especially in a more value-based world, having more information about what actually happens when someone uses these drugs and who it really would work for or not work for is really helpful. Um, and then also, obviously, at the more kind of basic science or academic level, there are some really interesting things that we can do, um, you know, with academic partners that we're already we're already discussing. And it, one of the things I'm most excited about in that kind of realm, and it is more theoretical, but um, is we're really spending a lot of time today talking about uh, how you treat conditions that we kind of understand, right? So for cystic fibrosis, there are uh, a set of mutations that we know cause CFTR problems. Um, but for some other conditions, we are so far away from having any real concrete understanding of what it is. And it may even be a set of conditions, right? So autism is a great example. Like what is autism? It's really anybody's guess. Um, another, another, uh, potential that we're looking at is, um, 
Uh, there are some conditions in the kind of pandas or pan space, which it's uh, basically a brand new concept, which is that there might be behavioral issues that come from long-term low-level infections in children. Um, there are things like this that people have really not even characterized yet, and we're, we're interested in working with um, academic researchers on that type of stuff. What surprised you about the digital health inno like innovation world mm. uh, that you did not think to be true going in? It's a great question. Um, so we definitely have been constantly surprised by how generous people are with their time. Um, I'm, I feel so lucky every day that we're based in Boston because there's so many resources and people are really uh, interested in doing everything that they can to help us succeed. We've had the ability to meet with, talk with, be advised by lots of people that we really never should have been able to access. Um, and so that's been that's really been the most impressive um, thing about it. Something that maybe is, is less positive is that I've also been a little bit surprised by um, how much talking there is about change without um, direct action. And it's something that probably shouldn't have been surprising. Um, mm -hmm. But when everybody seems very bought into the idea of kind of taking radical steps to, to make big change in healthcare, it often seems like the total speed of change. It's not just because healthcare takes a long time. It's also because often people are talking a little bit more about it than they're doing anything. So we have, we have noticed that a little bit. Yeah. What's your BS meter? When you meet someone who's doing too much talking, oh, but if I tell you now, it's not going to work anymore. Gonna be out. <laughs> um, oh, I have a new, I have a recent one, which is, um, uh, I used to say, "Are you familiar with patient-reported outcomes?" Before uh, telling someone about what folia is, um, because I, that would give me a meter for whether they understood. Now I say, "Are you familiar with PROs?" Because people who are actually familiar with PROs will know what they are, and people who are not will never be able to guess what it is. Whereas patient-reported outcome, you can kind of guess what it is, or you think you might know. Of course, it yeah. So <laughs> that, that's, that's my, new, my new one. Is, so you hide the ball Do you know it. PROs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got it. Oh, my goodness. Um, what is, if you could tell an entrepreneur one thing that was starting out maybe like two years ago, Nell, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. There are so many things that I wish I could have <laughs> known two years ago. Um so one thing I'm glad that we learned right around that time was that uh, we have this written on every whiteboard everywhere is that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, it's super important to remember, especially when you're coming from a background where you had to you know, get really good grades all the time. So everything had to be perfect. Like you wouldn't put a presentation in front of a client unless it was perfect. Um, in the world of startups, your most important resources, time, and you cannot waste your time being perfect. Um, and it's really difficult to get yourself into that mindset. And it's honestly, it's even harder to make it something that is natural. Um, I do still feel like I'm forcing myself to stop. I had one thing that one document I was, I was writing last week that I literally had to time box it because I knew that I would spend way too long on it. Otherwise I didn't like it when I finished it and I sent it anyway, because you just have to. Um, so that would be the most important thing I think. Yeah, that was one of the biggest things I struggled with when I went from large academic medical center to startup world. I remember Nick being like, Nina, good is better than perfect. Just right. get it done. Right, or, you no, have to. Done is better than perfect. Done. That's another way of saying <laughs> yes. it. Right. Done is better than perfect, <laughs> and you can spend a lot of time on perfect. Yeah. Like, perfect can be, right, very time-consuming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there can be some terrible days in the, in the startup game when mm -hmm. you think, your company is just going to end tomorrow because you didn't land a big client or you you, you didn't have a great pitch to a fund, to an investor. 
Um, but of course, there are some fantastic days. When you're at your lows, when mm. the lows happen, are there any stories or anecdotes of users or patients that you kind of keep coming back to to make you, to re inspire you and remind you why you do this? Yeah, you know,、um, that is exactly, it's funny that you kind of already picked up on that. That is exactly what we do when we have a bad day, is we, we look at、um, what we've heard from patients and families. Uh, there have been a couple things that really stick out to me.、Um, the things that I remember the most are conversations with、uh, usually parents who feel that they were not being heard by their clinicians before they walked in with an appointment guide. And not because the clinicians were being disrespectful, but because the、uh, parents didn't necessarily know how to.、Um, How to present what they thought and how to talk about these health observations that they'd made in a way that they felt confident in. And so they kind of felt like they were always kicking themselves when they left appointments and, like, oh, like I should have talked about it. I just didn't know if it was relevant or I was kind of second guessing myself. And the appointment guide has given them、uh, a lot more self confidence and empowerment to be able to have those conversations. And I think it really like, it improves not just the outcome, but also the feeling that the parents have of being able to be an active advocate for their child's care. And that's something that is really touching to me. I know that the reason that I started this.、Um, We talked about this, but、um, my mom is such an amazing advocate, and she still had a lot of trouble. And she's actually a like, Harvard educated attorney, right? About the best type of advocate that you could find. And she had,、um, she had trouble fighting for herself and for my brother. And I know I was always thinking, like, for my mom to have had this much trouble being an effective advocate. How is it for most other people who are not as assertive, who do not have as much self confidence, who don't have the training or just aren't as articulate?、Um, and so it's something that, like, at the core of this, we hope that if nothing else, we're empowering people to be more active advocates. Startups always need stuff money, great people,、uh, new verticals, clients. What do you need the most right now? <laughs> That's such a good point. We do always need stuff. We eat lots of stuff.、Yep. Um, so, right now,、um, we, our biggest thing up until just recently was ahead of marketing,、um, but we've identified an awesome candidate, which we're really excited about. So, my, I guess my answer is changing, which is really exciting. It changes, what, every week, right? Yeah, it changes a lot. <laughs> Where's、um, the fire? Where's the fire? It's funny because I was about to say ahead of marketing. I was like, wait, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that's great.、Um, we are looking for a data analyst, someone with MySQL experience. Okay, and,、um, and, and interest in healthcare, and preferably a personal experience that relates to what we're doing.、Um, and then we also, right now,、um, are looking for clinics to be part of our Folia provider program that we talked about a little bit、um, cystic fibrosis clinics. We have a couple spots left for our first cohort in the Folia provider program.、Um, and so those are kind of the, the major things. And then we are also fundraising our seed round, which is our first institutional round. Oof. Yeah. Get excited. Yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah. Have you, and you've mapped out how much you're looking for and what you're, what you're looking to achieve with that? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're raising $3 million,、um, and the goal is really to, to build out our team and all the kind of professional verticals that you can expect. We have a three person team doing everything right now.、Um, Dan and Peter are all in engineering, and I do everything else. And what we found is that、um, as we're getting more requests from、um, our customers, our potential customers,、um, our Clinics, our families, and patients,、um, we're realizing that we have a lot more interest than we can keep up with. And so 
obviously like it, that's a great feeling, but also, um, the thing that keeps me up is the fact that I'm like, I have so many projects that in the the, lot, the, the tale of projects that we can't currently deliver on because of the number of people we have is growing. Um, and so that's, uh, that's why we're kind of really excited to be able to grow the team. Um, what, what are some key attributes you look for when you are building out your team? It's a great question. Um, Dan and I talk about this a lot. There are also a lot of podcasts on this topic. So Um, (laughs) yes, um, which is fun to listen to. Like, you know, it's a lot lighter than a lot of other things you hear on the radio. Um, so, uh, we have a lot of different theories. Um, one of the things that we know is the most important for us is that you really have to have some personal connection with the problem that we're solving. Um, a family member who has a complex illness, living with a complex illness yourself, um, maybe even just having had a professional experience that put you very close to complex illness, but it's something that you really cannot describe to someone who hasn't experienced it. And the onboarding would be very long um, to really be able to understand why what we're doing is viscerally important to the people that we're working with. So that's kind of our number one. Well, Nell, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, this Nina, is awesome. thank you for thank you. for uh, for tag teaming this with me. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts as we as we fade away here? Um, no, I mean, uh, I'm really excited about uh, the opportunities that you guys all have with Folia and all the other startups that have been through Mass Challenge and in Boston in general. We live in such an incredible ecosystem here. Yeah, it's amazing. And every day, I see it growing and all the different people that are part of this village that's raising these startups and I'm really excited to be a part of it. So, and Nina's a great help. So, and I'm not just saying that cause she's sitting here. Mass <laughs> challenge has been a fabulous resource to us. Um, and yeah, it's really cool now being on the other side of it and meeting the new health tech cohort uh, for 2019. Yeah. And it makes us feel a little old, which is weird, but also um, <laughs> puts the pressure on because you have to show well for them. It totally right? does. You have to it's lead, like, all right. Lead by example. Exactly. Exactly. It's like the feeling I've had my entire life with my six younger siblings. It's like, well, we better get moving. Cause you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so thank you to of Nina course. and the whole Mass Challenge team for, for the help.